Well, good morning, church. How are you? Good. Good morning. If you're watching online, we're so uh, glad that we hopefully all have electricity by now. I think the last person that I was aware didn't have electricity got it yesterday or last night. So hopefully we're all at 100%. Um, and I'm, I'm just so grateful to see you guys. Uh, I feel a bit emotional. Um, I am an Enneagram 4, so that's not, you know, that's normal for me to be an emotional person. Uh, but man, what a week, right? Uh, just to see all of you guys in, in a warm space today uh, with dry hair and I don't know, I'm just really grateful for you. Plus, I mean, plus we begin a series today called Family Feels. And I've been studying about family and um, just what the Lord is wanting to do in the hearts of the people of our church. And so uh, I'm excited uh, to begin a new series today. And I think there's no better time than right now. I, I've watched over the past 12 months the impact that the family has had from COVID, some good, some, some bad. I have seen families gather around dinner tables in the past 12 months that potentially didn't before, and that's good. Um, the, the Lord, actually, I think it was March 11th last year that the WHO, World Health Organization, declared this a pandemic. And we're coming up on the one-year mark. In a sense, it's been like a Sabbath where the Lord has allowed us to be sent home, to be with our families, to wrestle with some things, to work out some things. He's caused sporting events to stop. He's called the late hours, caused the late hours at the office to stop. Are you, you with me? Um, in, in a good way, I see that a Sabbath has been taking place over the past 12, 12 months. But I also understand that 12 months in a home where the family is dysfunctional is 12 months of hell. There are children that have been home with their parents more often than before who aren't getting three meals a day, who aren't being nurtured and cared for and loved, right? Where they may have looked at that from their teacher. They may have looked at that from their lunchroom. We we see the good and, and the bad. And so I believe that God has called the church to model what healthy family looks like. That doesn't mean we're always perfect. That doesn't mean as a dad, I always get it right. As a, a mom, Carrie always gets it right. Or as a, a leader in the family of God, we always do things right. But I, I'm, I'm hoping over the next several weeks, church, that we can just go to another level in family. Is that all right? We can kind of set aside bad habits that we have in family. We can set aside the old shame of years lost, opportunities missed. We can set that aside and we can see what the Lord truly has for us in the context of family. Now, I will tell you, uh, Michaela, that was, that was a, a great moment with the Lord and worship team. You did phenomenal I love that song, Getting, Getting Ready. I do believe that Jesus is coming soon. We can look around and like no other time in the history of timekeeping, we are seeing prophecies fulfilled, scripture fulfilled. We know that it's soon. 
I don't know how soon, but we know that it is soon. Today, January, not January, February 21st of 2021, there is a global initiative, initiative of the Jews. And at the same time, I don't know what time it is for central time. You could look it up. But at the same time, all across the globe, the Jews are praying that their Messiah, their uh, Mashiach would be revealed. Now, of course, we understand that the Jews aren't looking for Jesus. They, Jesus came and they didn't receive him. They didn't recognize him as the Messiah. They're still in anticipation of their Messiah to come. But today they, they are praying. There is a, a global cry in the Jewish community for their Messiah to be revealed. We understand that their Messiah, when he is revealed, will either be one of the many false Christ or he will be the Antichrist in Scripture. The world is groaning for the return of our Savior. It is groaning. It's no coincidence that Texas just went through a week-long blizzard. Our atmosphere is groaning for the return of its creator. At the same time we were going through a blizzard, old Jerusalem was dusted with snow a very rare occurrence. Is God not speaking to the world to wake up? Has he not given us 12 months to slow down our pace, to reevaluate our priorities, to understand that there's something shifting, there's something new coming, there is something on the horizon? Now, I don't know when he's coming, but I believe it's soon. I believe it's soon. And until he comes, we are called to occupy. That means we don't sit back and watch, what's that, not Netflix, what's that, what's that, that network that's all Christian? We don't sit back in our living room and watch pure flicks all day, trying to feel holy until we hear the trumpet sound, right? We get out into the world. Did you know, we're in a pandemic it takes more effort now to evangelize than it did 12 months ago. What are we doing? Who are we bringing into the house of the Lord? Who are we bringing into relationship with our creator? If we really believe Jesus is coming back again soon, what are we doing? People need the Lord, but even now, the enemy would love for us to sit back and just wait for this to blow over. Can I tell you, it's not blowing over. The disconnection that our world is currently experiencing is not going away. This is the goal of the enemy, to bring disunity and brokenness in the world. So now we have to look around and see what is our next step in the spirit to be able to go into the dark places the places where we can't reach and we can't connect, there has to be a way that God is still mobilizing his church to reach a dying and lost generation. And a lot of Christians, a lot of Christians, not in this church, it's the other church down the road. A lot of Christians have completely let their Christian responsibility sit on the back burner until this blows over. This is not blowing over. 
This is called the mission field. This is our moment where we need to look at what is in our hands. And we need to use them for the glory of God. If that's a jug of water, if that is electricity, if that is encouragement, if that is going to the hospital when people are sick. We're, right now we are, we are crying out to heaven for Paul's dad and Frank's dad. Both of them not doing well, not looking good. And of course, we can't get to the hospital. But you know what we can do? We can get to the hospital parking lot. Ministry may look different in the coming months, in the coming years. But we've still got a world to reach. I want to talk to you about family. My, my hope in these coming weeks is that your family is, is not just blessed, but becomes a blessing. That's different, right? For me to be a container of receiving blessing is one thing, and that's good, and God wants you blessed. But to be a conduit of heaven that allows blessing to flow from you into others is another thing. It's a, it's a higher level of, of living. And as Michaela said, it, you move beyond the scarce, scarcity mindset into collecting all that you can, into delivering all that you can. And my prayer is that our families, that the Exchange Church is known as being a church filled with families that are blessed to be a blessing. So what does that look like? I believe we can help you with that. I, the topic today, though, is not just about dads and moms and, and sons and daughters and grandpas and grandmas or lollies and pops. But I really want to talk to you about what Jesus says about family. He, he takes a spin on family. There's a lot of good information in the Bible about family. I mean, we know that Family is established in Genesis, but then Jesus comes along and he defines it and he holds it together. And he adds this, this other layer, this layer that you're experiencing right now, that many of you have experienced this week, actually, in your time of pain, in your time of loss, you have seen church family member, maybe it was a neighbor of yours, come to the rescue, offer to give you a shower, offer to bring you a meal, offer to do X, Y, and Z. You have seen humanity at its best this week. Yeah? yeah. This represents what the family of God should look like. Jesus said a specific kind of family that he recognizes is those that do the will of the Father. That means it doesn't matter what your DNA is. It doesn't matter what your political persuasion is. It doesn't matter what your checkbook says. Those who do the will of the Father are family. We're family. So if you're sitting here today and you don't have any family in the area, you're watching from home alone on your couch and you don't have any family in the area, the good news today for us is that we belong to a family. It's called the family of God. Father, in Jesus' name, God, I thank you.
I thank you for what you're wanting to speak through me today. God, I ask that you would allow my ears to be um, tuned very precisely to your spirit today, God, that I would just hear, hear from you, God, hear what you want to do and what you want to say. Father, I thank you that the people in this room, it is no accident that they're here. The people watching online, it is no accident that they're watching in this moment. God, there's something you're wanting to do among us. And we say yes to you, Lord. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Amen. All right, I want to take you to the text today, Mark chapter 3. This is the family that Jesus talks about, the family that Jesus recognizes. Mark chapter 3, verse 31 through 35 says this. Then Jesus' mother and brothers arrived. Standing outside, they sent someone in to call him. So Jesus was in a crowd. His, his mom and his brothers are standing um, on the edges. They send someone in to get Jesus. A crowd was sitting around him. They told him, your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. Verse 33, who are my mother and my brothers? He asked. Then he looked at those seated in a circle around him and said, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. Do you get that? His mom and his brothers are looking for him. They call for Jesus they say, Jesus, your family's here. And he says, wait, who's my family? You're my family. The people sitting here among us, you are my family. I want us to understand today that when we say yes to Jesus, the gospel changes our last name. Just like when you get married, um, Michaela and Lawrence, Michaela is now a Castaneda and Lawrence is now a Rose. You you merge two families together to become your own entity, right? You know, you, you create your own customs and traditions and ways of doing things, ways of interacting. I mean, I have two sisters and I'm sure their family units are very different than my family unit because you just learn to live life and do things your way. When you say yes to Jesus, the gospel changes your name. Jesus did not show favoritism to his flesh and blood relatives just because they shared a bloodline. Now, he didn't dismiss them. I don't want you to walk away thinking that Aunt Susie isn't valuable because she's not saved. Do you hear me? I'm not at all suggesting that your bloodline is, is somehow inferior. I'm only saying that Jesus doesn't say that church family is your plan B. I'll say that again. Church family is not your plan B. Some of us think, well, my family is dysfunctional. I guess I can enjoy at least my church family. Church family was never intended to be your plan B. It is plan A, God's established mode of family. The goal is to get your bloodline into the church family. That is, that is our, our goal. There are other biblical examples of the shift to the family of faith in scripture. When someone wasn't family and they became family, you remember the woman with the issue of blood came up to Jesus, touched the hem of his garment, and he says, what does he say? He says, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go and sin no more. He called her daughter 
because her faith gave her a new name. He didn't say, woman, with an issue of blood. He said, daughter. I mean, this woman was an an outcast, and it was her faith that transitioned her into being a daughter. The gospel changes our identity from me to us, from my individualism to our family, our family. You know, when you get to heaven, by the way, there are going to be a whole lot of people that don't look like you, talk like you, think like you. They didn't eat the same food. They didn't vote the same way. There's going to be a whole lot of difference in heaven. Yeah? We know that from Revelation 7, 9. John says, after this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count. From every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. Listen, I, I get, I love, we have actually have been praying for, for the past, you know, since we started this church, for a diverse church. Our family is diverse. We want our church family to be diverse. And when we prayed it, boy, did we get it. In every kind of way you can imagine, right? We, we've got well, any, any difference that you can think of, they come to the exchange church, and we love it. That's what heaven is going to look like. Did you know that in heaven, there's not going to be a Republican section, a Democrat section? In heaven, there's not going to be a white section and a colored section. In heaven, there's not going to be a rich section. They don't get better mansions than the poor section. We're going to be one family together. And the thing that draws us together is Jesus Christ. That is the one thing that unites us. And if you believe differently than me on certain areas, that's an open hand thing. The the thing that we have to agree on is that Jesus is the son of God. He died on the cross for our sins. On the third day, he rose again from the grave, from the tomb, and he's coming back again. That That makes you a believer, a follower of Jesus Christ. That is your ticket to heaven. And you can take all your other crazy self stuff with you, right? Between now and there, God will either clean you up or he'll fix it when you get there. I love the diversity and thinking about my brothers and my sisters. Someone said recently, I don't remember who it was, J.D. Farag, I watch him on occasion, and he said he looks at people now as not male, female, black, white, rich, poor. He just looks at people as saved and lost. And that helps motivate him to get out there and to reach more people. It doesn't matter any other status, it's just saved and lost. That's how he he views people. And um, I think about the diversity of brotherhood. And if you look at that verse in Mark 3, verse 35, Jesus says, whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. In that final verse, everybody say brother. So I looked up the word brother to just really define what that is. And the Greek word is adelphos, adelphos, A-D-E-L-P-H-O-S, adelphos. 
And sister is just the female version of Adelphos. So brother and sister comes from Adelphos, and that is Alpha plus Delphos. Great, Trey. My life has changed. <laughs> brother means Alpha plus Delphos. Alpha, if you've ever heard the saying Alpha and Omega, he is the beginning and the end. So we know that Alpha is the beginning. Delphos means the womb. So a brother and a sister becomes a brother and a sister beginning at the womb. Interesting, huh? I have an 11-year younger sibling. Her name is Amber. Amber's in the room right now. She's 11 years younger than I am. That means she will not experience being my age today for another 11 years. That makes me feel old. <laughs> when Amber was in the womb of my mother, the, the moment my mom came and dad came and said, we're going to have a baby, even before we knew it was a boy or a girl, the moment that she was conceived in the womb, Amber became my sister. Beginning in the womb. It wasn't when it, it was breathe and push, breathe, push, he, he, who. That's not when Amber became my sister. Amber became my sister in the womb. She became settled from the womb. She became established from the womb. She became my sibling from the womb. I hope you're getting this today because in the family of God, you get established in the tomb. You get settled from the tomb. You are a brother or sister from the tomb. It's not what you do or how much you contribute or how much you serve or how much you attend or how good you are or how good you smell today that makes you a brother or sister. It was decided when Jesus rose from the grave, conquering death, hell, and the grave, all authority in heaven and earth became his and he became the establishment of this great nation called the family of God. You said yes, became a brother, a sister from the tomb. As believers, each of us are striving to be more like Jesus, um, I hope. And as we do that, we should begin to somewhat start to look alike, create this family resemblance. Have you ever been like at a restaurant or in the airport and you think to yourself, I think that person is a believer. There's just something about them, um, the, the spirit within them, the way they carry themselves. It's something. You can't put your finger on it, but you're like, they know Jesus. You ever had that experience? Anyone? A few of us. Okay, good. Uh, I bet people have thought that hopefully about you as well, and you don't even know that they've thought that. They just said, oh, there goes, there goes Greg Smoot. I know that he's a believer. There's just something about his, his countenance that says he is a son, right? There goes McKenna Helms. There is something about her countenance that says she is a daughter. And when we look at extended family, our family here on earth, we often carry certain traits. Some families have really, you know, curly, kinky hair. Some families have really thin hair. And you say, oh, you, you got that from my 
grandmother's side, we see people that have, you know, a whole family line of dimples and their Christmas photo just looks crazy because there's just dimples everywhere, you know? Or you got families where everyone is short or everyone is tall or everyone is, you get the point? A family resemblance is created, but looking identical in the spirit realm isn't necessary to be family. It's not even necessary to be family in the physical realm and look like each other, right, Jordan? Tristan? Addison are my kids that are not at all white, but they're family. They are my family. They act like us. We act like them. In fact, Addison and I were getting teased just this week that she and myself and Micah act too much alike. Right? (laughs) Carrie's agreeing quickly. We don't know who said those accusations. But looking identical isn't necessary to be family. It's the shared experience of living and loving, remembering and celebrating, grieving and persevering together that knits a family together. In the same way, believers should look related. We are the family of God. We follow Jesus together. and People can't help but see the family resemblance. All right, I want to give you a, a few quick points here as my time is out. Um, where does our family name come from? Ephesians 3, 14 through 15. For this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. Our family name has come from Jesus Christ. In fact, the whole family of heaven and earth comes from Jesus Christ. We've all been, by the way, raised in another family. But then we get born again into the family of God. All of us were born born, spiritually speaking, into the family of Adam and Eve. And then we were born again into the family of God. It's like Moses. Remember, Moses was a Hebrew raised by the Egyptians. And his family didn't know God. They were a pagan culture. They worshiped many gods. When Moses found out who he really was, he decided to leave who he was told he was to be and to become what he was born to be. Christian means Christ-like. We've got God's name. We're born into a family of unconditional love. If you want to know what one of the values of the church family is, is unconditional love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever should believe in him should not perish but have everlasting love. We have stepped into a family of unconditional love. Now, some of you are thinking, but I know some Christians. But I know some Christians who aren't very loving. That's because our brothers and our sisters are human. But our father, our our dad, our papa has unconditional love. And that's where we get our name from. 
I love Luke 6.35. It says, he is kind to the unthankful and evil. God is kind to the unthankful and evil. Now, before you go thinking about someone else who fits that criteria of unthankful and evil, let's look in the mirror. There are many times that I've been unthankful. There are many times that I have been evil. But Romans 8 says that I'm convinced that nothing can separate us from the love of God. Let's go, Lawrence. I'm convinced that nothing can separate us from the love of God. I'm persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, things present, or things to come, height, nor depth, any created thing can separate us from the love of God. You know, you had a father before God became your father, right? His name is Satan. Never thought about that one, did you? We see in John chapter 8, I won't read it to you because I'm out of time. But Jesus is talking to the Jews. And they said, Abraham is our father. And Jesus basically said, if Abraham were your father... If you were children of Abraham, then you would do works of Abraham. And Abraham, we know, lived a life of faith. And these Jews claimed to be children of Abraham. Jesus said they weren't. He goes on to say, um, verse 41, you you do the deeds of your father. They said to him, we were not born of fornication. We have one father, God. And Jesus said to them, verse 42, if God were your father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and came from God, nor have I come of myself, but he sent me. Why do you not understand my speech? Because you are not able to listen to my word. You are of your father, the devil. Jesus plainly lets the Jews know that their father is Satan. Either your father is God, Yahweh, Jesus, Yeshua, or it's Satan. There is no in-between. You see, when you say yes to Jesus, you move into a family that is blessed. When When you're not following Christ, Satan is your father, and he is doing everything in his power to bring confusion your way, to bring destruction. John 10.10 says Jesus comes at You may have life and have it to the full. Satan comes so that you can be destroyed. He steals, kills, destroys. He's your daddy. He is your daddy until you say yes to Jesus. And you step into the realm of blessing. Did you know the last word? of the last sentence of the last book of the Old Testament is cursed. Cursed. That's the last word. Look it up. Malachi chapter 4. Last word is cursed. But the first word of the first sentence of the first sermon in the New Testament, Matthew chapter 5, is blessed. Jesus came to redeem you from the curse.
so that you could be blessed. It's like God came down to the adoption center called Earth. And he looked at that little girl, that little boy, whose father, Satan, was abusive. He beat you. He lied to you. He didn't show up for dinner. He gave you guilt trips constantly. His favorite phrase was shame on you. And you thought that's what fatherhood was all about. But then Jesus showed up. God shows up at the adoption center of earth and he says, I'll take that little girl. And Satan says, you can't have that little girl, she's mine. And God says, no, I, I want that little girl. The funny thing about adoption is parents choose the child. The children don't choose the parents. It's not like when Jordan, my son, got adopted, they stood him in a room, they lined up moms and dads, and he said, I think I'll take that mom and that dad. Right? The kid doesn't choose the parent. The parent chooses the kid, and God chose you. And Satan said, that's my girl. And God says, but I've chosen her. I want her. And Satan said, well, I'll tell you what, you can, you can have her, we'll do a trade. You take her, and you give me your only son. And our father said yes. He gave his only son to redeem that little girl, to redeem that little boy. That's the kind of family we're a part of, church. Unconditional love, a family of blessing. So I'm praying over the next weeks that our families become more solid than they've ever been before. I'm also praying against any attack with your family because one thing I've tended to tend to notice when we focus on families, a lot of waves come against families. The enemy hates family. He hates family. Fam healthy families on earth most represent what God is wanting to accomplish in the kingdom. So the enemy will do anything he can to come against healthy families. So right now, in the name of Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit, there will be no weapon that is formed against the families in this church that will prosper in the name of Jesus. God, we just ask for divine grace to flood our homes in the coming weeks, that we would extend mercy in communication, that we would extend patience in expectations. God, that we would begin to see the gold in our spouse like never before. We would see the gold in our children like never before, that our homes, our homes will become a safe place where the weapons of this world cannot work. So God, I thank you. I thank you for family. I thank you that you, you chose me as your son. I thank you that you continue to choose each and every day your sons and your daughters. In Jesus' name I pray.
Amen. Amen. God bless you.